Some of you are looking at the screen wondering what that photo is. You know what that is? Some of you, can, can any of you remember way back to 1986? Some of you were only a twinkle in your father's eye. You weren't even born yet. Way back to 1986, there was a royal wedding. It took place Westminster Abbey in London. A royal wedding between Sarah Ferguson, nicknamed Fergie, and she married the British Prince Andrew. Did any of you watch that? Oh, the pageant, the pageantry was amazing. I didn't watch it, but I heard about it. And the world loves these royal weddings and all of the pageantry that goes with it. But what many people, so I've heard, many people remember was a very significant moment in this wedding. And it was during the, the, the taking of the vows, and Fergie was supposed to say to her groom, I promise to love, honor, and obey. She did say that phrase, but when she said it, she had this sideways grin and smirk on her face when she said it as she looked at Prince Andrew. And the point is, the sideways smirk and grin said more than her words. Her look could hardly have articulated more clearly what the, this new duchess actually thought, which was probably something like this, you have got to be kidding me. Nobody really believes in wifely submission anymore, and Andrew, you certainly should not. That's probably what she was thinking. I can't read minds, but that's what the look was saying. And so she repeated those vows, but with this kind of a toss of her head and the rolling of eyeballs and smirks and so forth, what, what did she actually do? She tossed away the content of her words. And of course, hindsight is 2020, is it not? Her smirk of, of this lip service to the tradition of the Church of England at that time, uh, not intended to uh, be honored, has become a very sad metaphor for, for a lot of royal marriages. And as you know, a lot of them have gone awry. But it's not merely royalty to whom the metaphor applies. See, it actually applies to us as well. And I'm, I'm very thankful that God, in His wisdom, has given us not just the role of husbands, which we looked at last week, but He's, he's also told us what is the role of the wife. What is a Christian wife to be? Well, we live in a world of great confusion. Is it any wonder when you have over 60 different sexes and genders and, 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 you know, and, the, and people are so confused today? Wouldn't it be much better if you just go back to the beginning in Genesis when God said, male and female? <laughs> that is so simple. So let's come to God's Word and look what He has to say for the wife. What is the role of the wife? Verse 22 of Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, 
and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I know the Bible says husbands, plural, but ladies, that doesn't give you the right to have more than one husband. Okay? Right? It just means that all the wives in the world have a husband. So here's, I'm proposing from this particular text, the role of the wife is this. God wants you to do something. Here it is, that God wants wives to, number one, respect and submit to their husband. I'm getting the respect, by the way, from the end of verse 33. The end of chapter 5 says, Let the wife see that she respects her husband. Well, there's few areas in, in, in life today that have been so distorted and corrupted by the devil and, and this world and our own flesh. It's caused a, a lot of confusion. It's caused destruction even in churches. Uh, nothing, nothing seems more so than this particular issue, dealing with marriage and the family. And so it's these, these issues that the Apostle Paul is actually confronting for us here in Ephesians 5, and, and he's actually expanding and clarifying the general principle, uh, going back to those previous verses, of what does it look like to be filled or controlled by the Holy Spirit. Remember, one of those is verse 21. May I remind you what verse 21 says? It says, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. And so Paul's expanding on this idea of what does this look like submitting to one another? Well, he's gives, he gives several illustrations, and he obviously starting with the family here and, and particularly dealing with the marriage relationship. And so, by the way, let me just, before we jump into this, let me just state that Scripture makes clear that there are no spiritual or moral distinctions among Christians. Uh, we're, we're equal. Some have said the, the ground at the foot of the cross is level. I like that. Because in Galatians chapter 3, the Bible tells us that there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free man, there is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean there's no genders. That, that, okay, that's not the point. It just means we're one in Christ. Spiritually speaking, we're equal. But in matters, uh, that, that, that doesn't mean there's, diff- there's not different roles, though, okay? There are distinctions, obviously. God did, didn't make us exactly the same, right? So in matters of role and function, God has actually made us distinct. And although there are no differences in the intrinsic worth or the the basic spiritual privileges and, and rights of God's people, God's given, for example, He's given rulers in government, and He's given them the authority, and God says, we're to submit to the government rulers. Now, that doesn't mean the prime minister is better than you. She just has a different role to play in our country than you do. We're equal. And so it's the same uh, when it comes to other areas of life as well. Right? God gives authority to pastors. Legitimate, God-given authority to pastors. But that doesn't make me better than you. We're equal. 
we're all sheep. And it's the same in the family here. And one of these these God-given roles is God makes husbands and God makes wives. And even though we're equal, we have different roles to play. He's given authority to parents over the children. And next time we get into chapter 6, we'll look at that. And, And then in chapter 6, you see, again, distinction in the roles. The employer has a different role to play from the employee. That doesn't mean doesn't mean your boss is any smarter or better than you, right? <laughs> That's not the point. You're equal, but the boss has a different role to play. That's the way God designed it. And so as we come to today's text here, the Apostle Paul's beginning here this, this list of what does it look like to be submitting to one another, and he comes to the role of the wife. How does she relate to the God-given authority for your husband? What does that look like? Well, there's there's different roles. And the first role that God gives to you, ladies, is this. That God wants wives to submit to their husband. That's your first role. He wants you to submit to your husband. You see that in verse 22? By the way, if you're a Greek fanatic and you look at the Greek, that little phrase there after the comma, where it, when it says wives, comma, some of your Bibles might actually have those next few words in italics, which means it's not actually in the original text. It's a carryover from verse 21. If you're one of those Greek fanatics, it's, carry, it's carried the word submission over from verse 21. So wives, submit to your own husbands. So I'm going to give you a, a list of what is it not and what is it. All right, let's start with... Uh, well, we'll just we'll just get into it. There's a lot of points to make here. But number one, by the way, notes were on the back table if you wanted those. But we see, first of all, that submission, who does it apply to? Who is this applying to? It applies to every Christian wife. Notice it just starts off saying, wives. <laughs> That's, and why does it do that? Well, the word wives there isn't qualified whatsoever. It, it doesn't tell you, uh, you know, it's not getting real specific. It doesn't say the wives of pastors or anything like that, right? It's just unqualified. All wives are to do this. It's applying to every Christian wife. And it doesn't matter what your social standing is, your education, your intelligence, your IQ. Uh, you know, it doesn't tell you anything about your spiritual maturity or any giftedness or your age or experience or anything like that. It's not qualified by your husband either. <laughs> Whether your husband's saved or unsaved, or, you know, is he wealthy or poor, you know, it doesn't say anything about him either. It's just all Christian wives. This is for you. Second of all, we see submission here means, what does it actually mean? Let me define it, because you might be saying, okay, so it applies to all Christian wives, so what is this? Well, submission just means to relinquish one's rights. You relinquish you're right. Some Bibles actually translated as be subject. Same word as for the government. So just as you're subject to the government and you submit to the government, or you should be submitting to the government, where wives are to submit or be subject to their husbands. The idea is there's a subordination there. You're to be subordinate. There's a ranking, just, just like in the military. All right? The general 
just because he's a general doesn't make him any better than the private or the lieutenant or the captain or the major. Right? It, it, it has nothing to do with that. There are rankings in the military, and God's saying, you are to rank yourself under your husband's authority. That's what it means. And so that's why when uh, the Biblical Council for Manhood and Womanhood met, they came up with this definition. Here it is. It's, uh, they, they said this, that submission is the divine calling of a wife to honor and affirm her husband's leadership and help carry it through according to her gifts. There's your role. There it is. That's the role. I know. I know. You're probably thinking the same thing the husbands were thinking last week. Wow, this role is too hard. I can't do it. You're right. You can't. Just like your husband can't do his role either. It's impossible. Okay? This is impossible, humanly speaking. You need God's grace to fulfill your role. But there it is. Isn't it helpful to have a definition? I think it's helpful. But as we move on, we see from verse 21 here that submission is not merely a concept for females or women. It's actually a concept for all believers in Jesus Christ. Because the word submit there in verse 22 has been carried over from verse 21. Notice verse 21 is you are to be submitting to one another. So that includes all relationships. And number four, submission does not mean that the wife becomes a slave. <laughs> right? There are, there are people in our world who try to teach this philosophy that you become the doormat, you become the slave of your husband. That is not what this means. Actually, uh, to, to be quite honest, according to God, the wife is never more free than when she is actually in submission to her husband. That is when you're the, the freest you can possibly be. And, and she is free then to become all that God intended for her to become. Just read Proverbs 31. The Proverbs 31 ideal wife there is free. We'll look a little bit more at that in a couple minutes. But number five, we see here that submission does not mean that the wife never opens her mouth. It doesn't mean that she never has an opinion. It doesn't mean you you never give advice. Wow, there are a lot of misconceptions on this. So I hope this is helpful because look what Proverbs 31, verse 26 says. This is, this is God's ideal wife in Proverbs 31. And notice, she opens her mouth and she speaks. What's coming out of her mouth? Wisdom. And teaching, it says. But the teaching is coming out with kindness. There is kindness on her tongue. You see that? So, ladies, please, please do open your mouth. Speak. Give your thoughts, your opinions, your counsel to your husband. But it needs to be done with kindness and love. And number six, we see submission does not mean that the wife becomes a wallflower who just kind of folds up and, and you just allow your abilities to lie dormant. So again, another misconception. That is certainly not what you see in Proverbs 31 when we read that earlier. If you compare the, few, the, the, the full use that God's ideal wife made there of her talents and her abilities, you will understand she was 
a very busy, industrious woman who uh, was not just sitting around doing nothing. Well, again, we'll talk a little bit about, about that more in a moment, but you, got, you have God-given abilities, and God expects you to use them. You'll be held accountable for the gifts he's given to you. Use them. But number seven, we, we see here that submission does not mean that the wife is inferior to the husband. You're not. You're not inferior. In, in fact, do you realize the idea of submission here? is the same word that is used about Jesus. Jesus was subject as well. Does that make him inferior? No. So let me, let me just talk about this a moment, because the, the people who attack the submission of the wife don't usually go at Jesus. But that's exactly what Jesus did when he was on earth. See, Jesus was not inferior to his earthly parents, Mary and Joseph. But do, do you know the Bible actually says that when Jesus was a, a child, Luke chapter 2 says that he was in submission to his earthly parents. He was. Same word. And so neither was Jesus inferior to God the Father. Of course, Jesus was fully and, and completely God. But the Bible says and, and actually asserts that there's an order in the Trinity. There's actually structure in the Trinity. God designed it that way. And, and so that's why Jesus actually, when he was on earth, he said this. He said, I can do nothing of my own initiative. I do not seek my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Does that make Jesus inferior? No. He's just recognizing he has a role. He is distinct from God the Father and, and therefore has a different role to play. And then in 1 Corinthians 11, the Bible says this. As Paul speaks here, he says, I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man. And the man is the head of a woman, and God is the head of Christ. Do you see, do you see the role distinctions there? So certainly, this does not imply that Christ is inferior to God the Father. But what it is doing is it's teaching us here there's a division of labor and responsibilities. Even within the perfect trinity, there is role distinctions to play there. So, just as it is in the trinity, in like fashion here, then the submission of the wife in no way implies inferiority. As Jesus submitted, so the wife is to submit. So it's actually teaching the necessity of order. It's teaching the necessity of structure in life. It's giving us a division of responsibility even within the home. Moving on, number eight, we see that submission does not mean obey. So even though Fergie said that in her vows, uh, that's not what this is talking about. God didn't say obey. He said, wives, what are you to do? The first rule here is you submit to your husband. And by the way, the husband is not to treat his wife as a servant. You're not to treat your wife the same as you do your children. Children are to obey. That's chapter 6, right? Verse 1, children obey your parents. Not the same Greek word for your wife. So don't treat your wife like you do your children. Different role, again. Your wife is an equal. 
to you. God has given her to you. However, having said that, ever since Genesis chapter 3, and the fall of mankind into sin, what's happened is, the entire universe is now under this curse. Right? We are under a curse. And as a result of the curse, now we have this this great distortion of the woman's proper submissiveness, and you have a, a corruption of man's authority. So there's a battle of the sexes going on today, don't we? Where did that start? In the Garden of Eden. <laughs> right? With Adam and Eve, right there in the Garden of Eden. That's where the battle of the sexes began. It's where the, liber- the women's liberation movement began. It's where male chauvinism began in Genesis chapter 3. And it came into existence, and we've been suffering the consequences ever since. And so, so women have this sinful in, inclination, if you will, to usurp their husband's authority. And those of you who are married, you feel it at times, don't you? You feel it, I know. You want to usurp your husband's authority. And you know what? Some of us husbands also have a sinful inclination to put women under our feet. Read it. In Genesis chapter 3, it's, it's all part of the curse. And so for the past several hundred years now, uh, particularly in Western society, there's been we've just been bombarded by worldly philosophies like humanism, egal, egalitarianism. Uh, you know, we, we want to have a sexless society. Class this philosophy is just dominating us. And it, it was actually the force the driving force behind the French Revolution back way back in the late 1700s. That was a horrible disaster, the French Revolution. And it came as a result of unbiblical philosophies. It was a battle of worldviews, big time. And it didn't look pretty. So there was this blurring and even a total removal of all human distinctions it was masterminded by Satan in the garden, and he's still using the same old weapon, the same old tool. His tactic hasn't changed one bit. Satan is seeking to undermine what is legitimate, what is God-ordained. God ordained the authority in government. God ordained the authority in the home, and he's attacking that. So even though we we find ourselves, uh, sometimes we find ourselves victimized by the godless atheistic concepts and the philosophies of our world. And so this particular philosophy, you you need to understand, friends, is self-destructive. Because there is no group of people in in this world who can live this way. If you can't live in orderliness and productivity in the home and the government and the church and so forth, then destruction follows. By the way, this is not just taught in this passage. Some people love to attack the Apostle Paul as some male chauvinist. Well, if that's, if that's the case, may I remind you what the married man, the Apostle Peter, said. He was married. And he said this, First Peter chapter 3, verse 1, he says, Likewise, wives... Be subject to your own husbands, 
so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So there you go. Wives, notice something in the text. Wives are to submit even when your husband is disobedient to the word of God. So you can't use that as an excuse then, can you? You can't say, well, I'm going to do my own will even though I'm supposed to submit to my husband because he's disobeying God. Oh, that you, you, you may think that's your trump card and you're going to win all the arguments with that, but no, it doesn't work that way. See, in the feminist movement, as well as in less extreme groups, we see women proudly proclaiming their opinions in virtually every issue. And so sometimes they even do this in the name of Christianity. There's even so-called Christian women doing this. And even when their basic position is biblical, the manner of their advocation is often not biblical. It's not godly. God specifically excludes women from from various leadership roles sometimes. For example, in the church. He excludes women from being elders. They have different role to play. So, for example, in Titus chapter 2, verse 3, it says this, Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Great purpose in this. So notice what it, what it is saying, that older women are to teach younger women. What are you supposed to be teaching? The requirements and the priorities of Christian womanhood. So if you've been a Christian a while, you have a responsibility to the other ladies in the church. See, the younger wives are to, notice it says, be workers at home. That's what the Bible says. That's a great need in our day today, to be workers at home. And sadly, one of the tragedies of the modern family is, is often the case, no one is home. Sadly, many mothers who have never worked outside the home have done little to strengthen or bless the home. That's sad. That's, that's really sad. And sometimes those who are home are busybodies, as the Bible says. They're gossiping. They're watching the ungodly soap operas during the day and and a host of other things that are just as destructive as working away from the home. By the way, lest you take the pendulum swing too far, that doesn't mean you can't work out of the home. See, if, if the standard of Living, a family, if it cannot be maintained without the wife working outside the home, maybe, maybe you need to reevaluate your situation. Okay? I'm not going to tell you God's will for your life, but if you're one of those people working outside the home, just you need to pray about that, think about it. Are you actually living God's will for your life and your family? But in Proverbs 31, we, we see a very industrious wife there. 
a very gifted woman who has, yes, time, energy that, that's remaining uh, in her life after taking care of her household responsibilities. And then what does she do? She's channeling them into other areas of service. She's Yes, she's looking after her home on a, on a, a daily basis. And so the godly wife there of Proverbs 31, she is also taking care of her husband. She's taking care of her children. She's a, obviously a very careful shopper. She's very wise in what she's purchasing, the Bible says. She's supervising very businesses. She's supervising over the financial dealings of her household. She's helping the poor. She's giving encouragement. She's giving wise advice. She was a kind teacher. She was highly respected by her husband and her children and the whole community. She's an amazing woman. God's ideal wife. Yet she did all of that while operating primarily out of her home. Notice what was her primary responsibility. What was her primary role? It was her home. All the other stuff is not primary. It should be subjected to the home. Moving on to number nine, we see that submission is the wife's responsibility, not the husband's. <laughs> okay? So nowhere is the husband commanded to force his wife physically into submission. So guys, if you're married, guys who want to be married, that is not your responsibility. You can't force someone to submit. You can't. You shouldn't even try. So the wife, though, is commanded to make herself submissive. In, in the Greek tense there, that's, that's the idea. Ladies, you're supposed to do this to yourself, not your husband doing it to you. And so the Greek middle voice which is used in verse 21 there, is carried over into verse 22 by implication. And what is it, what is it doing? It's emphasizing this willing submission of oneself. In other words, what it's saying is that the submission is voluntary. <laughs> it's voluntary. Ladies, you willingly do this in response to God's will for your life. Number 10, submission is to be continuous to be continuous, because the Greek verb there, submit, is a present tense verb, which just means you continually do this through your whole life. So submission, therefore, is to be a continuous lifestyle. And then number 11, submission is mandatory. See, the Greek verb is actually, there's this imperative idea in this. In other words, ladies, your submission's not based on the way your husband treats you, it's not based on your husband's spiritual condition or lack thereof. It's imperative that you do this. It's not optional. And number 12, submission is a spiritual matter then, isn't it? <laughs> spiritual matter. Because notice what verse 22, the end of verse 22 says. What is the right attitude for submission? Notice it, the right attitude for your submission is it is to be as to the Lord. In other words, it's to be, a, a, you're, you're doing it as if you're doing it for Jesus Himself. And so, because the Lord commands the wife to be submissive, then if you actually refuse to submit to your husband, then you're living in rebellion against God Himself. That's how serious this is. 
So everything we do in obedience to the Lord should also be done, first of all, for His glory, and, and as we're trying to please Him. And so those to whom we submit, whether it's mutual submission or in response to their functional authority, will often not inspire respect, right? We, we see that in all areas of life. Those of you who have a boss, your boss is often not worthy of respect. We could have a long conversation on that, can't we? We all know bosses who are not worthy of respect. We all know MPs and prime ministers and presidents who are not worthy of respect. But God says you're to subject and submit to them nevertheless. Well, guess what, ladies? This applies to you as well. You don't do it because your husband is worthy of respect. You do it because the Lord Jesus Christ is worthy. And one of the concrete ways that you do this is by being in submission to your husband. And so if a woman then is contentious, like Proverbs talks about, and and you refuse to follow the leadership of your husband, then you're living in rebellion. And that is not simply against your husband. You're actually in rebellion against Christ himself. Now we see this modeled here. We see number 13. Who is it modeled by? Submission is modeled by Jesus Christ himself. And that's what verses 23 and 24 are reminding us here. Because notice verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. But what did he do in verse 24? Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. And so Jesus Christ performed the supreme act of submission in his earthly life in giving his own sinless life. So who is he? He's the perfect provider, the perfect protector. He is the head of the church. Jesus Christ is is this divine role model here for all husbands. So to follow God's plan for the family is the only way then to please him. It's the only way for you to have a happy home. You go outside his plan, you can expect to have trouble, confusion, fear, lots of problems. And so what's, it, what's emphasizing here is that the wife should do rather than what, sorry, it emphasizes what the wife should do, submit, rather than what she should not do. It means the wife puts all of her abilities and her energies at her husband's disposal. She's not merely an individual who's just going her separate way, doing her own thing. She's her husband's teammate, and in a team, you work together. Teams that work together win. Teams that don't work together lose. They fall apart. And so this wife here knows that the team members have to support the team leader, or there's not going to be progress made. There's going to be a lot of frustration happening. Number 14. Submission involves the wife's attitudes as well as her actions. So it's not just what you do, but the, the foundation here is coming from an attitude. See, out of your heart, right? It's out of your heart. Guard your heart. So Christ was submitted to God the Father. In fact, Jesus even said this in John 4. He said, my food 
is to do what? My own thing? No, that's not what he said. I'm going to do my own will, Jesus said, right? No. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. But how did he serve the Father? Do you ever see Jesus getting grumpy? Oh, man, you mean I have to go to the cross? Come on, Dad, why can't you send somebody else? I mean, I mean, uh, you know, my brother's far better. Why don't you send him to the cross? He, after all, he deserves it. I don't deserve this. Come on, this isn't fair. You don't see Jesus getting grumpy with his Father. He served the Father with gladness and he delighted to do the father's will he wanted to do the father's will and so based on that now we see likewise the wife's submission to her husband is to be grumpy no be cheerful (laughs) and then in verse 24 we see that submission is to be extensive it is to be extensive what does the submission look like in verse 24 Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit in everything. (laughs) Wives are to be subject unto their husbands here as Christ is to the church, right? So question, since that's true, how broad should the submission of the church be to Christ? In what areas in the church should the church submit to Christ? Hmm. Uh, just the finances. No. <laughs> right? No, we don't get to pick and choose in the church what areas we're going to submit to Christ. We, he's the head, so it's all things under the head. And so the answer is it's total submission. 100% total submission. After all, think about it. In Ephesians 1, it says that Christ is head over all things. And by the way, notice the word there at the end of verse 24. It says, again, I remind you, it says what? Everything. So submission is not to be a a thing where it's on-off. It's not an on-off matter. Uh, It's not something where you get to be selective. You don't get to walk down the aisle, you know, the the lolly aisle at the grocery store and say, ooh, that looks good. Eh, I don't want that. That's too sour, too sweet. You You don't get to do that. Submission is not a candy store where you get to pick and choose what you like and then you get to reject what you don't like. Submission is to be your lifestyle. It's to take place at all times, in all places, and in everything. God's clear here, isn't he? However, however, be careful of pendulum swings here, right? Because I know, I know some people, they love way over here out of balance, all right? It doesn't mean you have to obey your husband when your husband commands you to do what God forbids or uh, where your husband might try to keep you from doing what he actually commands you to do. That is not what this is talking about. When God says in everything, he means in all areas. It doesn't mean every single word that comes out of your husband's mouth. Right? So the first role we see here, is that wives are to be in submission to their husband. The second role is that God wants wives to respect 
their husband. Now, this is a funny one. I, I think it's kind of funny. This is really hard for you to do. But in the Greek, God actually tells you that your husband is a phobia. Treat your husband as if he is a phobia. <laughs> because that's what the Greek, the Greek word phobos, which we get our English word phobia, right? You know, arachnophobia and you know, all these other kinds of fears. And so it's coming from that Old Testament idea of fear the Lord or fear Yahweh. You are to fear your husband the same way you fear Yahweh. Now, the idea of fear often is confusing to some people, and so that's why we have the translation here, you are to respect your husband, ladies. Now, why do you need to do that? Well, I can tell you as a husband myself, and of the male gender, I have no confusion on that whatsoever, that the male ego is the most fragile thing in the entire universe. It is. The male ego is the most fragile thing in the entire universe, and you have to tread lightly. You have to treat it even more than an eggshell. It is very fragile. One of the most difficult things to admit or to understand is there's probably nothing that a man wants more from his wife than her admiration. Be careful of your words. Use them carefully, wisely. If you're constantly nagging, he's not going to feel respected. If you're constantly pointing out his failures and what he did wrong, which there's plenty you could get a huge list of that, far more than the good stuff. I know. We have many failures and sins and foibles and whatever you want to call them, but make sure that you balance that with admiration for your husband. If you treat the admiration and the nagging kind of, if you were to make a list, which one's bigger? Which one would weigh more? <laughs> Just think about that. Because we are fragile. And that's why God says to respect your husband. But all of that is stemming, going way back to Genesis. The book of Genesis is so helpful giving us the foundation. So let me just remind you of your third role here. This stuff's really coming out of Genesis. And here it is. The third role is that God wants wives to help their husbands. How do you help your husband? You do what Ephesians 5 is telling you here, right? Submit. Respect. So let me remind you what Genesis 2, verse 18 says. Then the Yahweh God said, It is not good that the man should be alone. So notice what God does. He says, I will make him a helper fit for him. Now out of the ground Yahweh God had formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of the heavens and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So Yahweh God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, he took one of his ribs and closed up its place with flesh. And the rib that Yahweh God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. 
and fill in the white space. God performs the first wedding ceremony, and he's the, the marriage celebrant. And he's the one who brings them together and says, you are husband and wife. And they lived happily ever after. Right? No, we know differently, don't we? But why did God make the woman? God made the woman here, notice what it says, to be man's helper. So therein lies your primary role, ladies. And since that is true, I want us to think together some ways in which a wife may help her husband. And I've got all these points coming from Proverbs 31. Not an exhaustive list. My suggestion is to you, ladies and men, go back and study Proverbs 31 and come up with some more things you could add to this list. But for sake of time, here's a few important ones. First of all, how do you help your husband? First of all, make your home a safe place. And I don't mean put bars on your windows and uh, you know, make sure you have anti-missile devices on the roof of your house. Oh, and then make sure that you have booby traps all in the grass. And uh, barbed wire and electric fences and uh, make sure you have, you know, big, mean bulls out there that it can attack anybody who dares to get close. Oh, and don't forget the moats. No, that's not what this means, okay? You know, don't put your crocodiles in the moat around your house. and You know, <laughs> that's not what it means. So what does it mean? Let me encourage you to look at Proverbs 31, verse 11. Proverbs 31, verse 11. Here's what God means. <laughs> Proverbs 31, verse 11. This is great, because here's what it says. It says, The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Whew, wow. There's a high calling for you ladies. So your home needs to be then a place of encouragement, a place of comfort. It should be a place of understanding. It should be a place of refuge. The world is a nasty place. And your husband should feel at home and like he, he can go into his fortress and, and hide in there and be protected. So that means don't make jokes about your husband. It means don't cut your husband down. And especially don't do it in front of other people. He shouldn't be the brunt of the jokes when you're having a party. And do not constantly remind him of his faults and his mistakes and his failures. He will never feel respected if you do that. Sometimes your husband needs corrected. Sometimes I need corrected. But you correct him only if it's necessary. Don't find every little thing and nitpick over that. That's annoying. So don't allow your home to be in disorder and confusion. But However... Again, pendulum swings. Let's be balanced here, right? You, you don't want to be on one of those TV shows. You ever seen the Hoarders TV show? It's terrible, right? And the people can't even, they don't even have a walkway, some of these houses, right? They're, they're climbing over their rubbish, which is up to the ceiling, just to find a part of their bed mattress, right? You, you don't want your house to be that way. But neither do you want to turn your house into a show home where there's no dust, everything is perfectly placed, and you're not allowed to sit on any furniture, you can't touch anything, and heaven forbid, don't use the toilet or the shower 
And certainly don't cook on the stove because you might make a mess, right? That is, that's the other extreme. You don't want to fall into that either. Have you ever been in a, host, in a house where you feel totally uncomfortable, right? Because you, you, you swung, the pendulum swung the other way because it's become the show home, right? You don't want that to happen either. Most husbands want a home to live in. They don't want a show home. They want to feel comfortable. They want a place of refuge. And that's what the Proverbs 31 woman is doing here for her husband and family. Number two, you need to be trustworthy and dependable. This is one of the great character qualities of this Proverbs 31 woman. So I ask you, are you trustworthy and dependable? Can your husband depend on you? Can he trust that, that he can go off to work or wherever and do his thing and you're going to be faithful to him? Can he trust you? Or does he have nagging thoughts in his mind? Oh, I wonder what my wife's doing while I'm working. Praise God, I don't, I don't have to think that way. I know what my wife's doing. And I can trust in her. And that, that's a wonderful blessing. And number three, be industrious. Be industrious. Look what verse 27 says. Here's the ideal woman. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. She's a busy woman. She's a busy woman. Again, I'm thankful for a wife who is industrious. In fact, I often have to tell her, please sit down and have a break with me. Come join me on the couch or whatever, right? Let's have a date today. Because my wife is a workaholic. She she's industrious. She drives herself all the way to the end of her rope, so to speak. And then she ties a knot and holds on. And then she falls apart. Right? That's not the point you want to get to, right? But uh, you, you don't want someone who is always constantly working. But notice, again, verse 27, what is she doing? She, she looks well to the ways of her household. She, she is not idle. This is a blessed woman here. But uh, number four is that, uh, by all means, ladies, offer suggestions, advice, and correction and counsel when it's needed, but make sure you do it in a loving way. When your mouth opens, be careful of the spirit and the tone of the voice. Remember that body language communicates even more than the very words of your mouth. Because notice what verse 26 says. Yes, she opens her mouth. She speaks and gives counsel and correction and so forth. But what's coming out is wisdom with kindness. So ladies, God wants you to do those things and more. I encourage you, again, study the whole part there in Proverbs 31. What does God want you to do? God's given you three roles we've mentioned, right? God wants you to respect, to help, and and to submit to your husband. And so I urge you to examine your relationship. Are you really practicing submission to your husband? Are you really respecting him? Are you really his helper? (laughs) You might think you are. Sometimes we think we're, we're doing something well, and then we actually talk to our to our spouse, and we find out, oh, really? I, it came across that way? 
didn't intend it to be like that. So have a conversation. And the reality is you're going to fail. You're going to fail. You, you, you can't fully obey God and, and, and fulfill his plan here for your life perfectly. So what should you do when God reveals your failure, okay? So I, know, I know some of you might have really flat toes right now. Like last week I had really flat toes. I had to admit a lot of failures in my life as God was preaching to me. And I'm still working on a lot of things too. So what do you do when God reveals those failures? Well, quickly, okay? You confess your sin to God but you also confess your sin to your husband. And then you need to seek cleansing from that particular sin, and the only way you can do that is through Christ. And then you ask the Holy Spirit for the power and the grace to, to live out this godly life. And then you need to move out in obedience to God's Word. You need to make the proper changes. You can't just stay the same. Status quo is not good enough. Right? So that's, that's what you have to do. So examine yourself. Are you fulfilling these roles? You can be busy in doing a lot of other things, but what about these roles that God's given to you? How are you doing in those areas? Respecting your husband. Helping your husband. Submitting to your husband. It's not that complicated. Just three things God's given to you. Right? That ought to be the primary responsibility. May God enable you to live out his will for your life so let's pray heavenly father thank you for these roles you've given to wives those who are single at the moment would you help them to understand these things and and then uh, to to be ready for marriage when the day comes that they would uh, be able to fulfill these god-given roles that you you've given to them those who are married May we understand our roles as well. May we understand that they're impossible to to totally uh, and completely fulfill at all moments of every day of our lives, and we will fail. And, And when we do, may we recognize that there is forgiveness of sin because you are a God who is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so may we run to you to find the grace we need May we find the power of the Holy Spirit enough to live lives that are pleasing to you. May we do all of this because we love you. May we have the right motivation. And so may our families uh, show Christ. May we we be pointing to Christ. and, And may we be a great light in the communities where you plant us. May you be glorified as we are living in submission to one another. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.